Welcome to the Rick Reed Sermon Podcast. Dr. Reed serves as the president of Heritage College and Seminary. He is passionate about preaching God's Word and training a new generation of biblical preachers. The sermon you are about to hear today was given in a chapel service at Heritage College and Seminary. To uh, tell things you're thankful for, the Bible says that that is one of the ways that we honor God is we live Thanksgiving, right? Uh, we were, my wife and I, Linda, were up in Ottawa visiting our daughter, uh, who uh, is a frontline worker, and uh, we obviously had to stay at a distance, but we brought her some Thanksgiving meal. And so uh, as we were driving home, we listened to a podcast, and it was interesting. The uh, podcast was about a business called Life is Good. You've probably seen their shirts and hats and other things. And the founders, who I don't know that they are Christian men, they said, we have found, we believe that when people are grateful, they're happier and healthier. So that's kind of the mandate of their business is life is good. Not life is always easy, but life is good. Focus on the good. And I, as I heard that, I thought, you know, they are just echoing, maybe unconsciously, but echoing what Jesus said when, he's, when he told us to give thanks. Give thanks. What Paul said when he said give thanks. There's something that glorifies God, but there's something that's really good for us when we are thankful people. So life is good. It's not easy right now, and you probably have some circumstances that I do that are not what you would put in the good category. But you can say, God, you are still good, and I give thanks to you. So we hang in with that. Anyway, it's great to have you. I'm going to pray for our time, and uh, today we're going to... um we're going to end our session by doing something that we long to do but can't do indoors, and that is sing. And today at the end, we're going to go outside on the grass there up above the upper patio, socially distance everyone at least two uh, arm lengths apart, and we're going to just sing a cappella a song to God because we all know that part of what makes us help healthy, happy people is when we can sing to the Lord, and we want to follow all the provincial guidelines, and so we don't do that here indoors but we are allowed to kind of uh, this distance uh, do that outdoors. And so we'll have a chance to sing a song of praise to the Lord. That's if the preacher doesn't go too long. And uh, I have something to say with that since I'm the preacher today. Okay, so hopefully we'll, we'll follow that. So let me pray, and then let's look at uh, God's Word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you on this Thanksgiving weekend uh, after Afterglow that we have had a chance over these last few days in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of school pressures, in the midst of all that squeezes us, maybe family dynamics, maybe health challenges, we have still had opportunity to affirm that we can be grateful people because you are good. Life isn't always good to us. We don't always feel that, but we know that you are always good in the midst of life. And so we turn our hearts to you and we give thanks. We give thanks for your son, Jesus, who loved us enough to lay down his life for us and give us life that never ends. We're thankful for the hope that we have for this life and for eternity. We're thankful for brothers and sisters who love us, who care for us, who speak truth into our lives. We're thankful for a school that we can be part of, where we study your word, where we learn it, where we're shaped for life and ministry. We're thankful for purpose in life that's bigger than just making money or having a good time. Lord, that we live for something bigger, more noble, grander than just ourselves. And most of all, we're thankful today for Jesus, our Savior and your Son, who brings us every good and perfect gift from you through him to us. 
And we're thankful that his Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And now we ask that by your spirit, you would help us today to hear your word in a way that moves our hearts towards you and towards your purposes in the world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So did you know that if you are a disciple of Christ, if you are a disciple, you have to be good at mathematics. If you are a disciple of Christ, you got to be good at math. If you want to make a difference as a disciple, you got to be good at math. Now, when I say that, some of you are just inside inwardly going, yes, because you know you are good at math. Some of you are thinking, I love math. I was a math lead in high school. You know, I, I, uh, I was like top of the charts. I took extra math courses. And so you're thinking, when I say you got to be good at math, you're thinking, I got this. This is perfect. But others of you, maybe most of you, would join me in feeling a little nervous at this point, saying, seriously? You have to be good at math to follow Jesus? Some of you would be thinking, I, I remember math in high school. I, I was a math disaster. Maybe you can relate to the guy that said this, there are three kinds of people in the world, those who can count and those who can't. And you hear that and you say, that's like me. I'm in those who can't. So some of you are thinking, if you've got to be math strong to be strong and disciple good, many of you are thinking, not so good. Well, let me give you good news if you're in the category of saying not so good news. And that is, you don't really have to be good at what we traditionally think of mathematics. It is true that the Greek word for disciple is mathetes, and that is linked to our English word mathematics. So there is an etymological link between the word for disciple and mathematics. But really, the word mathetes or disciple means learner. So you do have to be a learner if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, but you don't necessarily have to learn algebra and trigonometry and all the other areas, okay? You do have to be a learner. In fact, I would say that there is one mathematical equation, one equation that you do need to know if you're going to be fruitful as a disciple, if you're going to make a difference as a disciple. There is one mathematical equation you want to master, you want to solve, you want to know. Let me give it to you. If you're a note taker, write it down this way. Five plus two, put those in parentheses, five plus two times X equals 5,000 plus 12. Okay, five plus two times X equals 5,000 plus 12. Today, I'm going to give you the answer to that equation. And by the way, for those of you who are math geniuses, it's not 712, okay? So uh, today, I'm going to give you the answer to that as we look at a passage that talks about kingdom mathematics. Kingdom mathematics. We're in a series here on Tuesday Chapel that I've called the, the costs and the rewards of discipleship. And today, I want to talk to you about the mathematical costs and rewards of discipleship. And I want to give you an equation that if you learn and if you live, it will move you forward in making a difference with your one life for Jesus Christ. And I know that's what many of you are here for. You want your one life to count for him. You say, Lord, I want to be involved in something bigger than myself. I would like to leave an imprint on earth that echoes into eternity. If that's you, if you long for that, today I'm going to give you an equation that you got to know if you're going to do that. And the equation comes out of a passage that we're going to look at today in Matthew's gospel. So would you join me in Matthew chapter 14? 
Matthew chapter 14, and today I want to talk to you about the mathematical costs and rewards of following Jesus, of discipleship. It's a passage I think will encourage you. The last couple of messages I've given you are pretty hard-hitting, and they call you to daunting sacrifice. Today, we're going to see one that really lifts you up and says, hey, anything you sacrifice is far exceeded, far exceeded by the wonder of following Christ and seeing him work in and through you. That's what we're going to see today as we talk about the mathematical costs and rewards of following Jesus. Let me pray, and then we'll, ju- we'll jump in. Lord, I'm so thankful for these men and women. I'm thankful that you allowed us to have a season of Thanksgiving marked off on the calendar, but may we have a life of Thanksgiving that's marked off in our spirits because you are good to us right now, today. You're giving us our breath. You're giving us our life. You're giving us eternal life. And today, may we see you've given us a purpose a purpose that moves us forward in life to make a difference. And that's what we'd like to do by your grace for your glory. So use my words. May they be tightly tethered to your words so that they're true and helpful. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to pick up the story in uh, Matthew chapter 14 in verse 13. And as we do, opposition is starting to heat up around Jesus. We won't look at it, but in the first 12 verses of chapter 14, we find that Herod arrests and then beheads John the Baptist. So people are starting to push back. The Pharisees, the religious leaders are pushing back against Jesus. Even the Roman officials are pushing back. They're starting to be this growing groundswell of opposition. But in the midst of it, all these people are still flocking to Jesus because they know he can help their needs. And that's what we find in verse 13. It says, now when Jesus heard this, talking about John the Baptist being killed, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore and saw a great crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. So you get the, you get the sense Jesus is pulling away, maybe even reflecting that John the Baptist has been killed. And Jesus knows what's that mean. If they're coming for John, they're coming for me. So he goes away to a wilderness place, a desert place. It's not crowded. It's not populated. But the people hear about it and they flock to him because they've got big needs. Big crowds with big needs come to Jesus. And we're told there in verse 14 that Jesus sees all these people, and rather than being annoyed by them, he's filled with compassion for them. So he heals them. Many of them are sick, and he heals them. He helps them. But then a problem starts to happen, because as the sun starts to go down, the disciples start to get concerned. Look at that in verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So the disciples come up and they say to Jesus, Jesus, I I know it's been a powerful day, but it's like it's starting to get nighttime, and we've got a lot of people out here. I think you need to send them away so they can go get something to eat. They can go into the little villages nearby and buy some food. So they come to Jesus And they say this. Well, you know what happens next if you read. This is one of the most familiar passages in the Gospels. 
the next thing that happens is that Jesus feeds the 5,000. This is the feeding of the 5,000 passage, which, by the way, is one of the only miracles that's recorded in all four Gospels. So, like, this is a headliner miracle. This is a big one. This is one that all the writers of the Gospel said, you got to know this one. And when we get, you know the story of the feeding of the 5,000. When we get to this story, we often focus on what it teaches us about Jesus. Like, who can do what he did? Who can could, who could multiply bread and fish and feed 5,000 people? Actually, it was 5,000 men. So if you add in, for many of them probably came with wives, and some of them came with children, we got way more than 5,000 people there. And Jesus feeds them all. And sometimes we focus on the power and the compassion of Jesus to feed. And we should. That's part of what the text is saying. And sometimes we read this passage and we focus on the people. Wow, think of how amazing it was for them. They came there hurting and hungry and they left there healed and filled. But if you look at our text today, Matthew 14, if you study it closely, if you dig into it, you will find that the gospel writer focuses on the disciples and, and tells us the story from the perspective of the disciples because this is a training exercise for them. Jesus is using this situation not only to help people, but to teach his disciples. And what I want to do is go through our passage. It's well known to you, but I want to highlight three discipleship lessons that come out of this one passage. And they all relate to that, that equation I gave you at the beginning. 5 plus 2 times x equals 5,000 plus 12, okay? I want to show you three lessons, part of the kingdom mathematics, three lessons that you and I can learn. And if you learn these, these will help you as you go out to serve Jesus in your world. Let me give you the first. It comes out of verses 16 and 17. Look at verse 16 and 17. Verse 16. So the disciples just say, send them away so they can buy food. Verse 16. But Jesus said, listen to what Jesus says to these guys. They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. In Jesus' statement, there is a lesson that I would say is a kingdom mathematics lesson that you and I want to learn as discipleship. Here's how I would put it. The first lesson is this. Jesus calls us to meet needs we can't possibly meet. Jesus calls us to meet needs that we cannot possibly meet. He tells us to do something we can't possibly do. He calls us to meet needs we can't possibly meet. I mean, just think of that. Think of how floored the disciples would have felt. Put yourself in their place. Imagine that you're Thaddeus or you're Bartholomew or you're Matthew or you're Peter. Imagine you're standing around. Jesus is there and you say to him, Jesus, Jesus, in case you haven't noticed, it's like starting to get dark out here. And like these people have not eaten all day. I think you ought to send them away so they can go get some food. Imagine you've just given Jesus what you think is a pretty logical counsel, right? And then he looks you right in the eyes and he goes, they don't have to go away. You give them something to eat. They would have been floored at that. They would have thought, seriously, come again. You, you, you want us to give them something to eat? See, these were practical men. Some of them were business owners, right? Fishermen. Matthew was a money man. He was a tax collector. They would have easily and quickly assessed the situation and said, we can't do that. Like verse 15 says, it was a desolate place. So they're thinking, Jesus, it's like, do you know where we are? We're, we're, not, we're not near food. And then it's evening. So it's like time's running out. 
In fact, one of the gospel writers, John, tells us that they actually add up how much they think it would cost to buy food to feed this crowd. One of them is good enough in math where they go, let me do the math here. Uh, let's see, there's X amount of thousands of people. We're going to need this. You know what? That's going to cost like, and he gives this huge number that they didn't possibly have. So Jesus called them to do something to meet needs they could not possibly meet. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that Jesus knew that they could not possibly meet the need when he said, you give them something to eat? Do you think he was well aware of the fact he was asking them to do something they could not possibly do? You say, well, he, Jesus knows everything, so uh, yeah, I guess he is. Well, John's gospel, John 6.6, 6, actually says, John adds, Jesus said this to them, but he himself knew what he was going to do. But he said this to test them. So Jesus, full aware, says, you give them something to eat. He knows they can't, but he's using this as a bit of a test. Jesus regularly calls us as disciples to meet needs we cannot possibly meet. It happens all the time. If you're going to follow him in life and ministry, just kind of adjust to this reality. You're going to be in situations where Jesus is saying, go help those, go meet those needs. And you're going to be thinking, we got nothing. We can't do this. Let me, let me tell you about a time I was reflecting on this passage today. Many, many years ago, when I first got out of seminary, Linda and I uh, went to serve in a church in the Silicon Valley of California, Cupertino, where Apple headquarters was for many years. And um, I, was the, I was on staff at a large church, and I was the college age pastor, the college and career pastor. So I worked with university students and those in that age group. And uh, it was a great time. We, we loved it. Linda and I both enjoyed it. It was really being around a bunch of people like you. And we, we found that to be just a great delight then as we do now. Well, we were in this uh, college group, and right down the street from us was a community college called De Anza Community College, De Anza College, kind of like Conestoga is up the road from us. And uh, so some of the students, they went to a variety of, of schools and some were just working, but some of the students went to, to De Anza. And so we decided to start a campus group at De Anza College called the De Anza Christian Fellowship. And we began to meet on campus once a week. And the goal of the campus group was to bring Christ and his message to the campus. So that was our heart. That was our desire. And so we began to meet once a week and I would go down there and meet with some students and they were students like you. They were, they were sharp students, but they were just ordinary young men and young women. In fact, I remember one girl who didn't go to our church, but I got to know her through the campus group. I remember one day I came into the, the club meeting, and she was really stressed out. In fact, I, sa I said her name, and then I said, man, you, are you okay? And she goes, I am really stressed. And I said, what's, what's bothering you today? She goes, I got, a, I got a big test today, and I'm really stressed about it. And I said, okay, well, let's pray about that. What class, what class are you really stressed about? She goes, without smiling, she goes, it's my managing stress class. And I remember thinking, whatever they're teaching you is not working, right? Because she was stressing out about her managing stress class. So we pray for her. And then we gather, and we, as a small little band, decided we would like to bring Christ to De Anza College. Like, how are we going to do that? Well, one day, the church that we served where I served, where I was on staff, got a phone call, and it was from a concert producer for an artist who, who was playing then, big name then. He's still actually an older man, but he's still doing concerts today by the name of Phil Keggy, amazing guitar player. And anyway, he's been around for years. Your parents would know him, right? So uh, 
Phil Keggy and his band were coming through on tour and they had a concert in the Silicon Valley and it fell through. So they called our church because we were one of the larger churches and said, would you guys host us for a concert? Well, the leaders of the church said, well, let's see if the college students want to do this. So they came to me and said, would you guys like to host the Phil Keggy band concert? And we thought, well, I tell you what, our little band at De Anza College has been, not our rockers and sisters at De Anza College, have been praying, how do we get the gospel to all the people? And we thought, I, this would be amazing. We'll host the concert at the church, and we'll invite as many people from the college to come up and hear it. So we said yes. So we signed on to run a concert. Well, none of us had ever done that before. And we quickly realized we were way in over our heads. We didn't know how to market it. We didn't know how to promote it. We didn't know anything. But we just knew we wanted to, we felt the Lord had given us this opportunity. So anyway, we're working hard at this. We're trying to put up our flyers and our posters, and we're getting the word out. A couple weeks before the concert, I get a phone call from the tour manager. And he said, I've just been in touch with the people that sell tickets in, for your area. There's hardly any tickets sold. Like, what are you guys doing? And he starts to show me his uh, angry side. He's upset. He's agitated. He's saying, this is going to be a disaster. You can't have Phil Keggy come and then have nobody show up. Do you know what this is? So he's going on and on, and it kind of rattled me. I went back to the students, and they said, you know, they're, they're really concerned, and they're upset. And so all the students were rattled. And so we began to feel we are being asked to do something that's way over our heads. But you know, this passage about the 5,000 says that Jesus often does that. He often calls you to meet needs you cannot possibly meet. If you're going to go and serve the Lord with your life, you can, you can write it down that you will be called into situations where you are asked to do something you cannot possibly pull off. Like the disciples being asked to feed 5,000 plus people. Like the De Anza College Christian students trying to put on a concert for Phil Keggy for a whole campus. I mean, you're going to be in situations. For you, it might be your youth ministry that you're running. For you, it might be a kids club. For you, it might be a drop-in center where you're trying to run and you realize how challenging this is. It may be working with senior adults. For some of you, it will be your internship where you're trying to serve Christ in the midst of a pandemic and still make that work. But you can write it down. You will be called into situations where Jesus asks you to meet needs you cannot possibly meet. We say, well, then what are we supposed to do? Well, you do what the disciples did. They did something really wise. Look, let's go back to our text. If you look at, uh, we've, we've read down through verse 16, where they say, where Jesus says, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Now let me read verses 17 and following. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. They did something really wise. They brought what they had, five and two in this case, to Jesus. And he multiplied them and he fed the people. So here's the second lesson on kingdom mathematics. If the first one is that Jesus calls us to meet needs we can't possibly meet, here's the second one. Jesus multiplies our meager resources when we bring them to him. Jesus multiplies our meager resources, the little bit, the five and the two that we have when we bring them to him. He multiplies what we have when we bring them to him. They bring their five loaves and two fish that they got. You, you remember from John's gospel, you remember where they got the five loaves and two fish? 
they somehow talked a little boy out of his lunch, right? So it's kind of, you know, when you think about it, it's a little bit humorous. It's like, we got nothing, but we did rob one little boy of his lunch. So we got five loaves and we got two fish. And the loaves, when you're thinking loaves, don't think loaves of bread like you buy in De- from Dempster or something like that. Think of those little buns you get at Tim Hortons when you order a soup. They're just these little loaves. And the fish are probably two little dried fish. So they don't got a lot. In fact, in John's gospel, Andrew is recorded as saying, we got five loaves and two fish. And then he says, but what are these among so many? Like, we got this, but we don't got much. This is pretty meager. But they bring it to Jesus, and Jesus does two things. Did you notice what Jesus does? First, he has the people sit down, right? But look at the two things he does with their resources. He blesses them, and he breaks them. Look at, look at verse, um, verse 19. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. Jesus took their resources, and he did two things. He blessed them, he lifted them up, and he consecrated them to God, and then he broke them. And in breaking them, he multiplies them. He gives them to the disciples who give them to the people. You know, I've learned over the years that when Jesus calls you to meet a need you can't possibly meet, what he wants you to do is bring what you do have, your little meager resources, to him. You say, this is all we got. And what he often does is he takes that little bit that you have and he blesses it. And then he breaks it. He makes it into something that you can't. In fact, sometimes it feels like he's, he's shattering it. He's breaking it down, but he's actually multiplying it. And he takes the little that you have, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then he feeds people through you. Who, let me ask you a question. Who fed the 5,000 that day? Was it Jesus or the, or the disciples? And the answer is yes, right? Because it says Jesus multiplied it, gave it to the disciples, but the disciples were the ones who gave it to the people. So when Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat, he literally meant that. You will be the ones who give them something to eat. Now, I will produce what you give them, but you will be involved. You will give them something to eat. I'm going to use you because I'm going to multiply your meager resources when you bring them to him. I was telling you about that concert that we were trying to put on with Phil Keggy. Um, so we get the call from the, uh, the manager of the tour who's really upset because they're not selling tickets and he's seeing a fiasco. He's seeing a bunch of young college students trying to do something that they don't know how to do. And so he's kind of pushing pressure on us. And I went back to the student leaders and I said, we're, we're in a tough thing. We're just a few weeks away from this concert. We don't, we've not sold a lot of tickets. The tour is spending a lot of money to come here and there's pressure and we still want to reach this campus. And so what did those students do? They did what the disciples did. They came to Jesus with their need and their meager resources. We started gathering and we just prayed, Lord, you, you see us. We're just a small group of us. We can't possibly pull this off. We don't have enough to do this. They brought what they had and they prayed. And Jesus somehow began to bless it and break it and multiply it. A couple of amazing things started to happen. The adults in the church started hearing about this small group of college students that were trying to reach a whole campus. And many of the adults in the church started to do this. They didn't want to come to the concert. It wasn't their style of music. I mean, think of, think of a band that you really like now, a Christian band you really like. And then think of your grandma and grandpa saying, Grandma and Grandpa, I got you tickets for this. You know, how excited would they be? Well, that's how a lot of 
the adults felt about Phil Keggy and his band. They, they weren't excited, but here's what they did. They said, I don't want to go, but I love your desire to bring people on the campus that need to know about Jesus to come. So they began to buy tickets and say, I'm buying tickets and I'm giving them to you to give away to other people. We're like the disciples. We can go on campus and give out tickets that had been paid for or produced by someone else. People would buy five tickets, 10 tickets, and we were able to go on campus and give those out. Somehow the word started to get out around the campus, around the community. And I remember the night of the concert. I stood outside and I saw cars just lying, streaming in off, off the uh, road and into the parking lot and people streaming up. The, uh, the sanctuary held about 900 people, I think it was, and it was packed to capacity. And it was really loud. In fact, one of the, uh, one of the chief elders, one of the head elders came. He was a, you know, not a young guy. And he came because he didn't like the music, but he wanted to see what God was doing and he wanted to be supportive. So he comes and I notice he has two wads of toilet paper stuck in his ear, kind of hanging out. So he's sitting in the back with toilet paper in his ear, but he's there because he wants to see what's happening. And that night, all of these students that came, all of their friends that came, got to hear somebody get up and sing praises to Jesus and talk about Christ. You see, Jesus multiplied the meager resources that we had when we brought him to him. So let me flip it back to you. What are the areas do you think where you're in right now where Jesus is calling you to meet needs you can't possibly meet? What is your five and two? Like, what do you have? You go, I don't got much. Well, neither did the disciples. You bring those to him and you say, Jesus, would you somehow bless this? Would you somehow break this? And would you somehow use it to feed others through us? Jesus multiplies the meager resources we bring to him but we're not done yet. There is a great little postscript to the story in verses 20 and 21 that gives us a third lesson on kingdom mathematics. Let me read it, verses 20 and 21 to you and then show it to you. This one will encourage you. Verse 20 says, and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over and those who ate were about 5,000 men beside women and children. So first, first lesson was this, Jesus calls you to meet needs you can't possibly meet. Secondly, Jesus multiplies the meager resources that you bring to him. And here's the third one. Jesus meets our needs as we serve the needs of others. Jesus meets our own needs. Well, we're in the process of meeting the needs of others. Jesus meets our needs as we serve the needs of others. I get that because in verse 12, Matthew adds, everyone who ate and was satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. Now, the, the text doesn't say that those 12 baskets went to the 12 disciples. But it seems like a pretty good chance that's what happened. So here are these guys who are busting their tails out there feeding all these people. Can you imagine distributing food for five, seven, ten thousand 10,000 people? That's what they did. At the end of it, they're whipped. But Jesus had enough for the people, but he had enough for them. There's 12 baskets left over. It's like, Matthew, here's a basket for you. Andrew, here's a basket for you. Judas Iscariot, here's a basket for you. Jesus meets the needs of his disciples on that day as they met the needs of others. And you know what? Jesus does the same thing for you. If you serve him, at times you'll be given out to many people. I have found he has a way of making sure you get a basket full. You know, those students that were part of the De Anza Christian Fellowship that put on that concert, they walked away with a basket full that night. 
You should have seen how excited they were on the next Sunday when we all met together. They were so excited. Not only did they get to go free, they got a free ticket for coming. That, that was small. They got to see God use them. They, they were filled up to overflowing. Like, can you believe what God did? Can you believe we got to be part of that? In fact, they made a big uh, shadow box where they put all these memorabilia tickets and posters and stuff, and we hung it on the wall of the room that we met because we didn't want to forget the day that God allowed us to be part of multiplying something that fed many, many, many people. And you'll find that same thing to be true. So let's, let's wrap up by, by solving the equation that I started with. You probably figured it out by now. Remember the mathematical equation I get? It's 5 plus 2, parentheses around those, times x equals 5,000 plus 12. Putting all those pieces together. Now, in, um, in regular mathematics, the answer would be 712. Because 5 plus 2 times 712 equals 5,012. But in kingdom mathematics, the answer is Jesus. Because 5 plus 2 loaves times Jesus equals 5,000 people being fed plus 12, right? In other words, you could put the equation this way. Meager meager resources times Jesus equals enough for others and enough for us. And one of the great joys of following Jesus is you get a front row seat to see that happen again and again and again. Let me just bring it home with one story about heritage that's fresh on my heart, and then we'll uh, wrap it up. A number of years ago, uh, not that many years ago, when Linda and I got here, we, with others, were concerned that the school was carrying a pretty heavy debt load. At that point, it was like three and a half million. It had almost gotten up to four million at one point, but it was three and a half million. And for our school, that was a heavy, heavy weight. And the school was concerned, and we began to pray, thinking, Lord, would you please help get rid of this debt, demolish this debt? And we, humanly speaking, had no idea how that could happen. But we believed that God would want it to happen. And so as faculty and staff, we began to pray about that. Lord, would you do it? Here's our tiny resources. Would you help get rid of this debt? My wife, Linda, had this idea that said, you know, a lot of people can't give a lot of money, but maybe some people can give a little. And so we had a campaign that was called A Thousand Times A Thousand, where we thought if a thousand people gave a thousand dollars, that would be one million towards the 3.5 million. So we did that, and there were people who who generously gave us a thousand dollars. They sent it into school, but we still had a long ways to go. And then in ways that are still mysterious to me, God moved in the hearts of some people who could give more than $1,000. And some gave multiple, multiple thousands of dollars. And last October, one year ago this month, we demolished the debt and went from $3.5 million down to zero. And last October, right around this time of year, we had a celebration dinner up in the chapel where we gathered together and we were like those disciples on the far side of the feeding of the 5,000. We thought, this is amazing. Like, there's no way we could have pulled this off. God, you did this. And we got to be in the front row to see it happen. What I long for you, my friends, is this, that as you live your life, you will get many opportunities to be in the front row where Jesus asks you to do something you can't possibly do, and you bring your meager resources to him, and he multiplies them, he blesses them, he breaks them, he feeds others, and then he blesses you as a result. Because meager resources times Jesus 
equals enough for others and enough for you. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, finish today, we just want to say we love you. We thank you. Sometimes you call us into places that, to be honest, we get afraid because they, they're clearly over our heads. We don't know how to make it happen. But I pray like those first disciples, we would just bring what we have to you. And I pray that Jesus would take them, bless them, and break them. And then in a way that only you could do, multiply them to meet the needs that you ask us to meet. And as that happens, Lord, we will give you praise for how great you are, how great is our God, and how great it is to serve you. We thank you for the joy of following Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information on Heritage College and Seminary, visit the school's website at discoverheritage.ca. To stay connected with the Reeds, visit their website at rickandlindareed.com.